0: We're going to, again, be in uh, Paul's letter to the church at Galatia. Uh, we just started a sermon series on that. Uh, Jason preached the first sermon last, uh, last week on verses 1 to 9, and uh, we're going to look at verses 10 to 24 this morning. But just for uh, the sake of context, uh, I'm going to begin reading at verse 6 and then read all the way through 24. Um, it's not reflected in your bulletin, but it will be uh, on the screen behind you. And so, uh, let's hear God's Word Uh, to us from Galatians 1. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one We preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Let's pray. Lord, as we turn to your word, Uh, We admit our inability to make this word any use to us apart from the work of your spirit in us. So Lord, we bring our weakness and our inability and um, all of the burdens we carry into this room and we lift them up to you and we ask that you would use this time uh, to bring glory to yourself and that you would speak to us from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've titled this series, The Gospel Changes Everything. Last week, Jason looked at what is the gospel and what is the gospel not. Uh, the gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. The gospel is not the sum of our effort to try to please God. It is not the strength of our commitment, but rather his very strong and unwavering commitment to us. And as we look at this letter from Paul to the church at Galatia, we know that this is a church that he dearly and deeply loves. He visited these churches in uh, the first three missionary journeys. He was well acquainted. He planted these churches. His child in the faith, Timothy, was from This region. And out of that love, you see Paul's intensity and passion come out in this first chapter. This is a serious matter for Paul. He does not mince words. Uh, Paul is an intense guy. Uh, He is not going to be the life of the party, Um, not the guy that you want to get stuck talking to at a party, I could assure you that. You would probably leave very exhausted. Uh, But Paul is about to blow a gasket. He's so upset about what's going on in Galatian. Paul planted these churches, and he left to go plant other churches. And then these other teachers have now come in, and they are preaching a new message. They're preaching a different gospel. They're teaching that Jesus alone is not enough for salvation, that you have to add something to it. You have to add your works You have to add your own religious commitment. And so the gospel equation is not Jesus plus nothing, but Jesus plus your works. And so Paul is having none of it. But you might hear that and you think, well, what's really the big deal? After all, they're still keeping Jesus around. They've not dismissed Jesus Uh, It doesn't seem like these Judaizers, these new people who have come in are preaching. Is it really that different of a gospel? If anything, aren't they just trying to hold people accountable? Aren't they just trying to make sure that these people behave once they have become Christians? Aren't they making sure that these people get their lives together? Paul answers that in the most emphatic terms And says, absolutely not. To add anything to the gospel, to add anything to the work of Jesus, is to ruin it completely. Just think about it this way. I haven't checked this, but I believe that this glass contains 100% water. Um, What if I were to put just a drop of rat poison in it? would you still recommend that I take a a drink of it? You would say, after all, what's the big deal? You've just added a little bit of rat poison. It's still 99.99% water. It doesn't look any different. Uh, Adding poison to this doesn't just make it slightly less pure water. It destroys everything about it. It changes everything. This goes from being refreshing to being deadly. There is not a spectrum on which it is acceptable for me to consume rat poison. It's either water or it's poisonous. It's either the gospel or it's something else completely. It's not that these preachers who were coming in after Paul were preaching 99% good stuff and 1% bad stuff, and so they they still got a passing grade. It wasn't just a slightly weaker version of what Paul was saying. It was something completely different. Paul is not arguing over a secondary issue. This is a big deal. This is a main issue for him. If you get this wrong, you miss it all. And the same for us. It's important for us to understand. What is the gospel? So that's what we're going to be looking at as we make our way through the book of Galatians. I'm going to put this up now and hope there's no rat poison in it. Last week, we, Jason uh, looked at what the gospel is and is not, but in these verses, I want to look at what, what freedom the gospel brings in our lives. And so the first freedom that we see, the first freedom that the gospel brings is the freedom from the approval of others. Verse 10, Paul asks rhetorically, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Paul is saying, this whole letter, this letter that I'm writing to you is not about me trying to seek your approval. This is not sour grapes because you like the new preacher better than you like me. This is not about the churches in Galatia thinking that Paul was a really great guy and so he has to defend himself. This is not a pastoral turf war between a former and a current pastor. Paul says this is about the gospel, this is about the message, this is not about the messengers. In verse 12, Paul says that the message of the gospel was revealed to him, that he wasn't taught this by the apostles in Jerusalem, that he didn't make this stuff up, that it was a message from God that was revealed to him. The the message of the gospel is a message that comes from outside, It comes to us. It's God's revelation of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, just so you know that I'm not crazy, later in the passage in verse 18, he says, well, I went to Cephas, I went uh, to Peter, I went to John, the Lord's brother, and the other churches, and they confirmed that what I was preaching was the message of the gospel. And so Paul is saying here that this message of the gospel frees me from trying to win your approval and your admiration. The gospel was not just the content of his message. The gospel was, a, was the power that was at work in him. Paul says, the gospel has freed me from, trying, from needing your approval. If I were still trying to get your approval, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so the gospel does the same thing in us. It frees us from that crushing weight of having to have the approval of others. It frees us from the slavery People pleasing. Because as people who are made in the image of God, as people who inhabit a broken world, we are all desperate to be accepted. This desire is a God given, a good desire that God gives to us. We have a desire to be known and accepted. We see that Adam and Eve had that in the garden. They were known and loved by God, known and loved by one another. But what sin has done is is turned that good desire to be known and loved and turned it into a crushing weight and a burden for us to bear. And we're constantly looking around wondering, am I accepted? Am I good enough? Do I measure up? You know, it can start early. Not that this is an example from my own house. But just say, for example, uh, that a mom happened to pack a son chicken for lunch one day. And this child at the lunch table said, well, all the other kids said that chicken was yucky and uh, they think I'm weird. And so now the young child comes home and is asking for a Lunchable every day because that's what everyone else has. It starts young. I don't want to be the one with the yucky lunch today. What drives our desire for the right phone, for the right clothes, to have the right body type? There is this belief that if I get that, then I will be accepted and okay. We long for that passing grade from others around us. It's one of the ways that you know that you're human, that you walk into a room like this and you automatically begin to think, Do I fit in here? You look around. Am I like these people? Am I above them? Do I find myself in a place above them? Or am I beneath them? Are they better than I am? You know, we can laugh at a politician who is constantly talking about and obsessed with his or her approval rating. But how different are we? We want to know. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Am I accepted? Am I not? You walk in this morning and you begin to think, do I fit in here? Uh, You look around and you think, well, I wish I could be like that guy. I wish I could have that guy's money. Or you look around and you think, well, I wish I looked like her. I wish my family looked like that. Or you look around and you think, eeh, it looks kind of rough today. Must have been a long weekend. Or when is the last time that kid saw a hairbrush? We're constantly looking around, seeing where where do we measure up? Do we fit in? Can I tell you one thing that I've learned from working at a church for a few years and just observing and hearing a few people's stories? Is that there's not one person here who in some way doesn't feel like an outsider. Whether you're young or old, man or woman, this might be your first time to ever be here, or you might have been a member here for 40 years. In some way, you feel like you don't fit. And so there's this myth that we carry around, is that, Everyone else, everyone else fits, but I'm the missing piece. I'm the one that doesn't fit. And everyone else is on the inside, and I'm on the outside looking in. We're all outsiders. In a broken, sinful world, we are all outsiders longing to fit. And I confess that this is a lifelong struggle for me. I am a repeat offender in this area, that I'm a people pleaser, that I can spend an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out how to be liked and accepted by other people. It could show up in a lot of ways in my life. I can be in the middle of a sermon and wondering, looking at you, wondering, what do they think about me right now? It's kind of, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of bad. Are they bored? Are they bored? Are they listening? Or it shows up in that I don't really like conflict because it's hard for me to believe that you and I can disagree and still be okay. Or it shows up and I don't really listen to what you're saying because I'm just trying to figure out what you want me to say in order to get you to accept me. I can hear a thousand words of affirmation and praise, but one word of criticism can devastate me. It's crazy. So much of our insane and crazy behavior is drawn from this deep desire to be approved. And what drives it? What drives it is this deep belief that if someone knew me, someone really knew me, they wouldn't approve of me. And so at the same time, on one hand, we've got this desire to be known and loved, this desire to be loved and accepted. But on the other hand, we have this overwhelming fear of being known. And so what we do is we say, well, let me find a way to get you to accept me. Let me find a way to hide my faults, to hide my sin and my weakness, so that you won't really get to know me. And I can find a way to get you to like me. So what does this passage say to the fear of being known? What we see in this passage is not only does God free you Not only does the gospel free you from the approval of others, it frees you from your worst day. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Paul is saying, I was a religious terrorist. Read Acts 8. Paul, it was Saul back then, Paul was kicking down doors Paul was running into houses, seizing men and women and carrying them off to jail. He was approving of executions. Paul is saying, I was a violent persecutor of the church. I was over the top, extreme. So what do you think it was like for Paul the church planter? to knock on doors that he once kicked in. What do you think it was like to pastor Christians he once persecuted? Look at what they would say about him in verse 23. He who used to, to, to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Do you think he carried some guilt and shame over his past, his worst days of persecuting the church? If I were him, I would have wanted to forget that whole era of life. Let's just hide it from everyone. But the gospel freed him from his worst days as a religious terrorist. The gospel freed him from his ugliest, dirtiest, and deepest sins. The gospel freed him from the shame he felt of having to go back to the ones he once persecuted. And the gospel does the same for you. What's your worst day? What's that event, that sin, that thing that you wish would just go away? That you wish you could shake, but you can't? That thing that binds you, weighs heavy on your conscience? The good news is that the gospel frees you from that. It frees you from the disapproval of others that comes from that. It frees you from beating yourself up. It frees you. From hiding. Like Paul, the gospel frees you from the approval of others and it frees you from your worst day. So you might have heard everything that I've said to this point and you think, you know, that's me. I am a member of the People Pleaser Club. My whole life I have lived for the approval of others and I am scared to death for people to really get to know me. From how I dress, to what I say, to decisions I make, to what, body, what my body looks like, I will do anything. I am desperate to be accepted by others. And so maybe this is the thought process in your life. Well, I don't need to work for the approval of others. I know that it's fickle, it's fleeting. Who cares whether they accept me or not? I don't need to work for their approval. I just need to work for God's approval. It's what he thinks that really matters. It's his approval that I'm after. And so I'm going to get God's approval by being really good. I'm going to be really disciplined and committed. I'm going to get things checked off of my list. And I'm going to seek to earn the approval of God. But do you see what you've just done? What you've just done is gotten rid of one form of slavery for another. You've just jumped off of one performance treadmill onto another. To be enslaved, to trying to earn the approval of those around you is one type of burden, but there's an even deeper and heavier burden, and that is trying to earn the approval of God. Paul says in verse 10, am I trying to earn God's approval? Am I trying to earn your approval? For Paul, the gospel has given him freedom from trying to seek the approval of God via his works. And ever, if there was ever a candidate for getting the approval of God by working really hard, it was Paul. Verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond my own age, beyond many of my own age among my people. He was the child prodigy. Uh, he was the valedictorian. He knew the scriptures. He was devoted. He was zealous. He was the Doogie Howser of the synagogue. But hear what Paul has to say about his spiritual resume hear here what he has to say about his pedigree in Philippians 3. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Translation, if you think that you are a spiritual big shot, you've not seen anything. Paul goes on, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of he- Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He had the spiritual resume that none of us could touch, but it did not get him where he wanted to go. Paul says later in Philippians 3, when I add up all of my spiritual accomplishments, I consider them rubbish. They are dung. They are garbage. Paul says, I've, I've played the game of trying to earn God's favor. I've been down that road, and what you find when you go down that road, it's not a dead end. Down that road is a mountain that never ends. A mountain to climb that never ends. Down that road is an ocean to swim, and there is never a shore in sight. If you think trying to earn the approval of others is hard, when you try to to earn the approval of God, you find that it is impossible. Paul would know. He tried, and it didn't work. So, what we see is that the gospel doesn't just free you from trying to earn the approval of others, it frees you from putting God in the same place of trying to earn his approval by working really hard, by your works. And so that the gospel doesn't just free you from your worst day. The gospel frees you from your best day as well. You see both with Paul in this passage. You see his best performance and his worst shame right there together. And the gospel answers both. The gospel frees you from trying to offer up your performance as a means of being pleasing to God. Because the gospel is the power of God that can free us From all of this madness. Up to this point, the sermon, I've told you that the gospel frees you from all of these things. I've I've said that it frees you, but I've not yet said how. How is it that the gospel frees you? How does the gospel free you from having to earn the approval of God? Because in the gospel, you are given the approval of God, you have it. The gospel is not that you are accepted by God and then you've got to maintain that acceptance. It means that in a love that cannot cease, that you are accepted and that you are connected to Jesus. In the gospel, your worst day has been swallowed up by Jesus' worst day. That all your sins and all your shame has been put on him at the cross So when God looks on you now, He does not see your worst day. He does not see your worst sins. He does not see the guilt and the shame that you carry. He doesn't see the ways that you have messed up your life and the way that you have messed up and harmed those around you. When God looks on you now, He sees His Son. He sees not your best day, your best performance, but He sees the perfect record of His Son, one that is given to you Through faith. How can you be okay when you lose the approval of others? How can you be okay when you have that crushing relationship that falls apart? You can be okay because you have the approval of God. And even saying that can sound callous, it can sound really dismissive about the pain, as if losing the acceptance and approval of others isn't a big deal. It is a huge deal to lose that. We are made for connection. We are made for acceptance. And to lose that is crushing. It is such a big deal that only the love of God can heal it. What can heal the wound of abandonment and rejection? The love of God that will not leave you. The love of God that will not cease, that will not turn away from you. You might hear this and think, you know, I believe everything that you were saying. The gospel frees me from all of this, frees me from trying to earn approval. But let me just give you a look at my life. I love Jesus, but I still think that I need to find God's approval. I need to earn God's approval, and I struggle to believe that God really loves me. I believe the gospel, but there is part of me that really, really wants And seeks the approval of everyone around me. So you ask, does that mean I've not believed the gospel? Does that mean that I just need to have more faith? Of course not. It means that you are just like everyone else who has ever believed the gospel. That you and I are in the middle of God's work in our lives, that we are not finished products that we are those who have been declared right with God through faith in Christ, but we are those who still sin. We are at the same time, we are simultaneously sinner and saint, at the same time justified, but being sanctified, declared right with God, but those who still struggle with sin. And so we need constant reminders that the gospel is for us, that God is for us, that we are children of God, that we are loved, and accepted in Christ. It's one of the reasons we gather every Sunday. It's one of the reasons why our order looks the way it does. It's because every week we need to be assured of God's forgiveness of us. And we say, we receive your mercy. Our response is not, we're going to earn your mercy this week, God. We receive it. That's why we preach the word, you hear the word preached, you are reminded that God is for you. And as we come to the table, you're reminded that God has done everything for you, everything necessary for your salvation. So I don't know where you are this morning. You might be coming off your worst day ever. Life is in the ditch. And if so... I'm sorry for where you are, but I'm really glad that you're here. Or you might be on the other extreme. You might be having your best day ever. You're really on a roll. I'm really glad you're here as well. But likely you are somewhere between those two days. What I want you to see is that regardless of where you are, I want you to see a theme that runs through this passage Regardless of where you are, we know that God is at work in our lives. Look at verse 15. But when he who had set me free from before I was born, called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. From before Paul was born, God was at work in him. We sometimes think that God's work in Paul's life began the road to Damascus. We sometimes think that he saw the light. He was converted. And that is when the work began. We, we believe that God was absent from the beginning of the story. But what we see, Paul is saying, is that God was at work in all of it. From before I was born, God was at work. This is not God stepping in at the last moment to save the day, but this was all in his most holy and most wise plan. All of the pieces of Paul's life were used. His training, his rebellion, his sin, his best day and his worst day, God used every bit of it. Hallie and I just made it through a really uh, trying time in our marriage, a difficult part, Uh, a trial that can tear marriages apart. We put together our first IKEA furniture, and I'm happy to report that we made it, and uh, we are doing okay. Uh, When we finished this project, I looked down the box, and there were a few leftover parts. Uh, Maybe not good news for the future of our furniture, but... It looked like the furniture was complete. It was where it was supposed to be. So I'm not sure what happened with it, so I just threw away the extra parts, and I assumed that they have no use. Unlike Ikea, and just like the life of Paul, there will be no leftover parts in God's work in your life. There will be no part that doesn't fit There will be no part that is left for the trash heap. The truth of that doesn't negate pain. I know it doesn't. It doesn't answer every question. It doesn't fix everything right now. There is some pain. There are some things that will only be healed in a world to come. But the gospel is the assurance that God is at work. That God is at work in you and that he will complete the work that he has begun. Let's pray. Lord, give us soft hearts as we receive your word. Help us to again believe that you really love us and that you have promised to provide us what we need. Thank you that in your hand uh, that we lack for nothing and that you have given us everything we need according to your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And so we thank you in his name. Amen.